Heavenly Father, thank you that you speak to us. Teach us tonight to love like you love, that we might be generous like you are generous. Amen. What's the end of the story? How does the story finish? Does she live or does she die? What happens after she leaves? Does someone care for her? Does anyone care for her? What happens at the end of the story? Now, we're starting at the end, but of course, the beginning of the story begins with Jesus sitting on a step watching the Jewish temple. And the story is from Mark chapter 12. Let me tell it to you. <clears throat> Jesus sat down opposite the place where the offerings were being put. And he watched the crowd putting their money into the temple treasury. Jesus is sitting on the step watching the temple, these giant coffers that surround it. The people coming in and putting their offerings, coins tinkling down into coffers, the ring of gold and silver, perhaps every now and then the dull thud of copper. And as Jesus watches, many rich people threw in large amounts. Handfuls of cash are being thrown in. But a poor widow came and put in two very small copper coins worth only a fraction of a penny. Her last two dollars, they go in. Calling his disciples, Jesus said, I tell you the truth, this poor widow has put more into the treasury than all the others. For, for they, they gave out of their wealth, out of their abundance, but she, out of her poverty, put in everything, all that she had to live on. How does the story end? She put in her last two dollars. Did, did she go home and starve? There's no money. There's no income. What happened? Does Jesus care for her? How could Jesus possibly commend this woman, say that she did the right thing? Wasn't he listening to last week's sermon? If you were here, we heard we have a responsibility to provide for ourselves. How could this woman be so irresponsible as to give away those last two coins? Well, we'll come back to the widow. We'll come back to that story. We'll think about the ending in a moment. But before we get there, we need to understand God's generosity so that we might be like him. That's our tag, be like God. And tonight we're talking about generosity. And I want to share with you one principle and four descriptions before my voice gives out. One principle and four descriptions, okay? Now, in your bulletin, in the handout, points three and four are back to front. I've decided to do them the other way around. So if you're taking notes, you just want to cross out the numbers and jump around as you go. Now, the principle, if we want to be like God in generosity, then we have to look to his most generous act. And that is found in Jesus. Now, the principle of generosity is this. Is if you like, a definition. Generosity is using your wealth for the benefit of others. There's the principle. Generosity is using your wealth for the benefit of others. Now, we saw it in Philippians 2, uh, that first passage that was read for us. You might want to look it up. We're going we're gonna to jump around a bit, cover a bit of content tonight. So uh, keep writing down your Bible passages. Open it up if you've got a Bible. Philippians chapter 2, page 1139. See, we want to look to the example that Jesus sets for generosity. 
Paul writes in Philippians 2 verse 3, says, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. In humility, consider others better than yourselves. Now that in itself is enough of a challenge, isn't it? But he continues, each of you should look not only to your own interests, but to the interests of others. If you look at someone and you think your needs are more important than mine, you will want to meet them. Your attitude should be that of Jesus. And what was Jesus' attitude? Listen to what he did. Being in very nature God, Jesus did not consider equality with God something to be grasped. He made himself nothing taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself, became obedient to death, even death on a cross. You want to know what generosity looks like? It looks like Jesus, the one who holds the universe in his hands. You think you're wealthy? Well, he owns it all. And yet he chose to forsake that, to give it away, to take on the humble form of, of a servant, the human likeness. And of course, when you enter into the world of death, what's going to happen to you? Well, you're going to die. And in Jesus' case, it wasn't just that he died, it was that he was murdered. And it wasn't just that he was murdered, but that he was crucified. He spent his riches, Paul said in 2 Corinthians 8. He who was rich spent it all. He became poor so that we, through his poverty, might become Rich. There's the principle. There is the example. Using your wealth for the benefit of others, even as Jesus shows us, to the point of death. Now we'll come back to that principle again at the end as we keep considering our widow. But for now, let me tell you four descriptions of generosity. Four descriptions. And the first one is this. Generosity is a gift to the giver. Hang on a moment. <laughs> Surely that's wrong. Surely, generosity is a, how can it be a gift to the giver? You, you, generosity is giving stuff away, right? When you give stuff away, who gets the gift? Well, the receiver gets the gift, David. Don't be silly. How can generosity be a gift to the giver? Now turn over to 2 Corinthians 8, that second reading. We're going to spend a bunch of our time there now. Page 11.23, 2 Corinthians 8. And listen to this mind-blowing description of one of the local churches of that time. 2 Corinthians chapter 8, from from verse 1. Now, brothers, Paul writes, we want you to know about the grace, the, the gift, right? That word grace, gift. We want you to know about the gift that God gave the Macedonian churches. Brilliant. What's it? A new hall? Did they upgrade the toilets? Did they get a new minister? What gift has God given to this church? Well, check it out. Out of the most severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. Somehow, it is a gift of God to this church that in the midst of suffering and poverty, they get to be generous. Paul goes on, I testify that they gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability. Entirely on their own, listen to their attitude, entirely on their own, they urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service. Please, Paul, please, can we give you money? Please let us write you a check Will you take it to these poor people. Please let us join in on this service. 
Now somehow this generosity was a gift from God to that church. Now I think it's a gift in two ways. Firstly, generosity is a gift from God because he's the one who puts people in front of us who are in need. He's the one who brings someone across our path that gives us the opportunity to be like Jesus, to meet their need. That is his gift to us. But secondly, generosity is a gift to the giver because the giver benefits more than the receiver. Jesus himself was quoted as saying, or maybe you know it, it is more blessed to give than receive. Thank you, Martha. It is more blessed to give than to receive. How can that be? I like stuff. I like presents. Do you like presents? Anyone like presents? Uh, some of you are smiling, the rest of you are grumpy. Well, I know who I'm not buying stuff at Christmas time, right? I love, can you, do you remember what it was like as a kid? Your life just seemed to, to revolve around when is the next time that I'm going to get presents. My birthday's in the middle of the year, and so the calendar was divided in two. It's either I'm waiting for Christmas or I'm waiting for my birthday. And you'd get there, and the night before, you just, oh, oh I can't sleep. It's Christmas tomorrow. I'm going to get presents. And I'm going to open them, and I'm going to play with them for about a day, and then they're going to break. <laughs> and then I have to wait till the next one. But... We love receiving gifts. We love stuff and experiences and money. I mean, that was grandma always, you knew. Hers was just a card, but hey, it was a good card because you opened it up and there was the cash, right? We love presents. Yeah, yeah. We love, we love thoughtful present givers, those people who, who take time and energy to buy presents that are useful and good, who know us, who know our needs and our wants. They know what we like and don't like, and they buy us these great presents. And yet, the giver benefits more. See, we love stuff and we value it more than we value character. We value the gift itself more than we value the effect that giving has upon our hearts. What does it do to you when you give something away? It frees you just that little bit more from the love of money. It turns your heart just that little bit more towards the love of the other. You follow just that one more step behind Jesus of letting go the things of this world for the good of someone else. Now let me ask it to you this way. Do you cherish opportunities to be generous? Do you rejoice? Do you love it? When a situation comes across in front of you where you can give away your money for the good of someone else, does it put a smile on your face? Do you plead like this church did? Please, please, can I be involved in care? Take take what's mine so that it will meet your need. Is that your heart? Or is it just a burden? Oh, you again. You, You want money again, do you? Oh, you're in need again, are you? Oh, yeah, you weren't financially responsible. Now, oh, I've got to pay for you again, do I? Oh, you don't have enough and you come asking. Generosity is a gift to the giver. God puts it in our paths, these people that we might care for them. And God transforms us as we are generous. Secondly, generosity is a chance to follow in Jesus' footsteps. Now, if you want to use one word to summarise these points, for the first one, the one word is grace. 
that undeserved gift. The second one, though, the word is sacrifice, a chance to follow in Jesus' footsteps. So we see it again in 2 Corinthians 8 9, right? How is it that, uh, that, that Paul summarizes it? You know the grace of our Lord Jesus. What did Jesus do? Though he was rich, for your sake he became poor. Though he was rich, he sacrificed his riches, becoming poor that the poor might become rich. I wonder, do you, do you ever get sad? Do you ever get a bit upset? as you think about your life, and you just seem to have so few opportunities to take up your cross and follow Jesus down that path of suffering. Do you get sad that you don't get to suffer enough? Well, no, me neither. <laughs> of course not. We don't think that. Don't be silly, David. Maybe we should. What did Jesus say? If you want to follow me, what's it going to look like? You want to be my disciple? Pick up your cross. And follow me. And he's not talking about woodworking, right? I mean, Joe loves it. We love woodworking. He's not saying go out and buy more Aldi tools and some timber from Bunnings and fabricate a cross. He's saying follow me on the path that is the path of sacrifice that will lead to your suffering. That is the very heart, the very essence of Christian living. It is wanting to take what is mine and give it up that it might become yours. That is what Jesus did. That is the beginning of our relationship with God. We enter through sacrifice and we live lives of sacrifice. And of course, when we come to talk about money then, it means using our wealth for whose benefit? Others. And as we do it, we rejoice that we get to see someone in need and we get to meet their need. Now, of course, we don't sacrifice because we're masochists, right? It's not that we really enjoy doing it tough. Oh, yes, you know, I only had a loaf of bread to eat yesterday. Oh, how good was it? I'm cold. Oh, I love it. No, that's dumb. We don't suffer because we're masochists. We're suffering because we want to see good for someone else. We are so caught up in the lives of other people. We so love them that we want to do what is good for them. Oh, who cares if it means I have to suffer? I get to provide for you and care for you and love you in the way that God does. Let me ask you this, Christian. Do you give until it hurts? Now, when I say give, I don't just mean do you put money in the plate at church. Right? Give is the broad use of the... Do you use your wealth for the good of other people such that you have to give up things that you wanted to do? You look at your budget and you go, I was planning on doing that. But that other person, they have a need right now, so that money's going to go and do that. I wonder whether perhaps we are a little bit too much like the wealthy people in that story in Mark 12. They come along and they're putting in tons of cash. They're writing the big checks. They're putting in all of this money. But you know what? It's not generous at all. Because what happens? These guys at home, they're thinking, well, hang on, this is what I need to do, right? I need to do this. I've got to put money aside for that. And this is what I want to do, so I'm going to put money aside for that as well. And then out of whatever's left, oh, yeah, you can have some of that. I don't care. There's no sacrifice involved. We give out of our abundance. It looks like generosity, but it ensures that I come first. There's a famous quote uh, immortalised by that great band DC Talk. 
uh, I was looking up who, who originally said it, but it was a, a Catholic priest. And I go something like this, said that the greatest cause of atheism in the world today is, who knows, Christians. The greatest cause of atheism in the world today is Christians who acknowledge Jesus with their lips and then walk out the door and deny him by their lifestyle. That is what an unbelieving world simply finds unbelievable. Now that brings me to my third point. See, generosity speaks the story of Jesus. If you like, generosity witnesses to the gospel. Can you imagine, just put, put on your, your, your big dreams cap for a moment. You picture the whole world and all the things going on in it. Can you imagine for a moment the impact upon the entire world if Christians gave their money, if Christians spent their wealth in the way Jesus gave his? Do you remember what Jesus did? The one who was very God, the one who held everything in his hands and despised it, who gave it away such that he might serve us, who entered into our world even to the point of death. He spent everything to the point of death for the good of other people. Can you imagine what the world would be like if Christians did that? In the first place, we'd do a whole lot of good. (laughs) All the people we could feed and have water for and medicine, all the clothes we could put on their backs. But can you, can you just for a moment begin to imagine the impact it would have upon our friends and our family and those around us who are looking on? We live in a world that is full of very cynical people. Remember that quote? Christians who acknowledge Jesus with their lips walk out the door and deny him by their lifestyle. I told you the story of, uh, of my mate Nick last week, right? My problem with religion is money because you Christians that talk about love, you talk about caring for other people and then you go and build massive buildings and you tie your money up in these things. You don't seem to care. You have no love. You have no compassion. You don't give sacrificially. If you truly loved in the way you say that your God loves, what would you be doing? Can you imagine the impact? Our world loves money so much. They love money. I want more. I want more of what money can buy for me. I want more of the experiences, more of the stuff, more of the comfort, more of the security. They love, they hold on to money so tightly. And can you, you Christians, you you really don't care. You're just giving it away. You really don't care about money, do you? And you're not just giving it away, but you're rejoicing as you care. You think it's cool. It's great. It's exciting. I get to give it away to care for someone else. A Christian person, do you say that you love in the way Jesus loves? Then let me ask you this. Do you put your money where your mouth is? Or are you like that person in 1 John 3 who sees someone in need and he says, oh, yes, yes, go on, be warm, be fed. He does nothing about it. Where's the love? You can't say, I love, and then not meet their needs. 
Now, of course, we don't love a lot of the Pharisees. Okay? We're not doing it for show. We're not doing it because we want people to see us giving. We don't do it to show off. Has anyone seen there's a YouTube video doing the rounds? Uh, some church somewhere in, in America where when, when it comes time to do the offering, right, church offering, it's pretty normal, they have these big kind of boxes up the front and people walk forward to put their money in the boxes. And they don't, they don't walk forward, they dance forward. It's, it's bizarre. And they're all kind of walking down the aisles and doing... And this video clip is of this one guy who's just going nuts. He's going off. He's twirling and pirouetting. And it takes him about three laps before he finally gets down to it. And he puts his money in and woo! And then he comes back out to his chair. And <laughs> We're not like that. We don't do it for show. We don't do it to show off to people. We do it because we love. We do it because we want to see their needs met. I'm indebted to Francis Chan for this love, for this line. He says, You can give without loving, but you can't love without giving. Generosity speaks the story of our Lord and Master, the one who spent everything for our good. And does your generosity reflect a heart full of love? Does your giving witness to Jesus? Are you so prepared to use your wealth for the good of someone else that those around you know that that is who you are. I met a guy uh, called Andrew. I would have been in Inglewood maybe a couple of months. I was early, early last year. I met him online through some, some things we had in common. And uh, we, we, we met up. We were just chatting down behind the library at one point. Uh, just caught up, say hi, meet this guy. And we just finished chatting and we were about to go our separate ways when this guy came up to us and asked for money. I don't know if you've ever had that experience. Or have you got any change? Is the usual line. And... Um, I was like, oh, okay, what do we do? Uh, for some reason, they seem to hang around Ingleburn a lot. Uh, Ingleburn Station, you, you get hit up often. People are like, oh, I need money to get to wherever. And they usually live a long way away. I'm like, well, how did you get here in the first place with no money? And what are you doing here anyway? And so this guy walks up to us and he says, you got any money? And I thought, well, I've got no excuse to say no and walk away. Right? I'm not busy. I, I don't have a commitment. I've got some time. So I said, oh, well... Let's, let's chat a bit. What's happening? What's your story? What do you want money for? And he said, oh, I just need money for growth, for some food. I haven't eaten in three days. And he told me his story and, and we're just talking about things and things are difficult. And Andrew, meanwhile, he, kind of, he stayed. He was about to head off, but he stayed and we chatted for a while. I'm talking to this guy and I said, well, look, I've got time. Um, I, don't, I don't really want to give you money, but how about we go down to Woolies? I'll buy you some groceries. And the guy's like, oh, yeah, okay. That's cool. Let's go. And so we started to head off and Andrew says, oh, can I come with you? Yeah, sure. Well, let's go. I mean, do you need groceries too? I don't know. Let's go. And so the three of us wander down, and uh, and we're heading down, and uh, and this guy goes, oh, and we end up at Coles for some reason. He didn't like Woolies, so we're going to Coles, right? He's picky about where he gets his free groceries anyway. So we go to we go to Coles, and we're buying stuff, you know, oh, chicken, barbecue chicken, and oh, do you want some mayo? So I, don't, I don't know. I've never had mayo, right? Here you go have some mayo. Do you eat tomato? No. Do you eat lettuce? I don't know. I've never eaten it. Right, good. It's it's good for you. Eat some. Buy a loaf of bread. You know, do you need anything else? Some toothpaste, toothbrush, whatever. And we go to the checkout. We buy it for him, and off we go. Uh, he, he lives at Macquarie Field, so we we got him on the bus, sent him home. And Andrew afterwards, he 
system. I've never seen that before. Normally with my group of friends, I'm the one who cares. If anyone asks, you know, we're out on a, on a Saturday night or whatever in town, and anyone says, you got any money? I'm the one who stops and says, oh, well, you know, at least check for some coins, right? The others, that's, but I've, I've never seen someone stop and care and be prepared. I mean, that, that, was, a, that was a lot more money than I've ever given. And you must really love him. It is a witness to the love of our Lord Jesus when we are generous, when our wealth is used for the good of others. Well, fourthly, generosity is the best investment you are ever going to make. Hang on, David, you're being silly again. Isn't generosity giving stuff away? How's that a good investment? That's a dumb investment. Oh, maybe you're saying it's going to become more valuable, sure, but I'm not going to have it anymore, so what's the point? How is generosity the best investment you're ever going to make? Well, Paul puts it like this in 1 Timothy chapter 6, that passage we keep coming back to. 1 Timothy 6, Paul wrote this, verse 18. Command them, the, the rich people, to do good, to be rich in good deeds, to be generous and willing to share. And what happens as they are generous? In this way, they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age, that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. Or Galatians 6, 9, similar thing. To take our wealth, there are ways that we can put temporary money into the eternal storehouses, that we can convert dollars that will perish into riches that will last for eternity. Would you not jump at that opportunity? Why do we spend our time wasting our money on things that are just so temporary when we could be putting them into heaven? Let me illustrate for you. Uh, imagine you're going on holidays and you're going to Europe. You've saved up your dollars, you've been prudent, which is next week's talk, and uh, you've managed to save up enough cash and you're going to go and stay in Paris Edwina would love to. My wife, she'd love to go to Europe. She's an art teacher. I personally, I think I'd prefer Canada, the wilderness, the outdoors. That's kind of. She'd love to do the art gallery crawl, right? It's okay. We don't have any money, so it's easy to say no. But anyway, so she wants to go to Paris, and so we've saved up our money and we've gone. We're going to be there for three weeks. We're, I'm hypothetical, right? Not actually, but three weeks. We're going to rent an apartment while we're there, and and, and off we go. And we enter the first one of these art galleries, and there is a Monet. That's a painting, by the way, if you didn't know. It's a Monet. I had to learn this. It's the Japanese bridge. The lilies with the stream. It's a beautiful painting. Edwina bought me a print of that actual painting. She really did. This, this other stuff is hypothetical, but she really did. And I can, I, can, I can just, if I'm looking at it, to be honest, I can feel calmness just descend. It's, it's an extraordinary effect that he's achieved. And you just kind of like, oh... Now, if you wanted to buy that painting, you'd have to have a cool $60 million. And as it turns out, on this one day, it's for sale. And you've been so prudent that you've got a spare $60 million. And you think, I'm going to buy it. And you buy it. 
And you bring it home to your rented apartment and you put it on the wall and you just think, that is so good. Ah, but actually the furniture's a bit shabby. It doesn't go with it. So you buy new furniture for this rented apartment and then you think, oh, a new carpet. We need to paint the new TV. What I'd really like now is a Renoir on that wall to go with the Monet on that wall. And you just... And then three weeks later, you pack up and you go home and you have to leave it all behind. It doesn't fit on the aeroplane. Of course that's nonsense, David. Of course that's silly. You would pack it up and you would ship it home. You're not going to leave it at your temporary place. You're going to send it to where you live. Now, Christians, we stake our money and we keep putting things into this flat that is rented and in which we won't live for much longer instead of packing it up and shipping it home. It's as sensible as the Monet in the rented apartment. Imagine, imagine this life in this world is a dot on a page. Okay, a dot on a page, maybe with a text, that's a little bit of a fat dot, it'll last for a little while, but that's okay. It's a dot on a page. It's, it's a breath. Here one moment, gone the next. It's like chaff, you blow it and it's gone in the wind. It's a dream, you wake up one morning and you think, oh, that was a nice dream. No, I've forgotten it. That is life on this earth. And from that dot, a line stretches off into infinity. The dot is this world, infinity is heaven. Would you not want to move your wealth out of the dot and into the line? Now, how does that happen? Is there some magic bank account that I can kind of deposit my dollars? Well, no, the dollars themselves won't last. What is going to last is people. And so if you remember, right, generosity is a gift to the giver. It transforms us in the first place. As you give money away, it changes us to be more like Jesus. And that alone is worth it. But think about the opportunities all of a sudden you have. Every dollar in my pocket is one more dollar that I can use to fund someone to tell someone else about Jesus. To perhaps rescue them for eternity. To place one more treasure of one more person into heaven. See, giving to gospel work is the single best investment you can possibly make. Can you imagine if over the course of your life you gave away half a million dollars, whatever it's going to be over the course of your life, to gospel work, and that gospel work funds 50 different gospel workers, and those 50 different gospel workers see 10 people become Christians each in the time of their ministry, 500 people who end up in heaven who can come up to you and say, thank you for that money. I am here because of it. You took your dollars that have now burned, they're gone, that world is gone, and moved people into eternity. Now, I thought I wanted to put some numbers on it to help you understand what, what can it look like to have a budget that is concerned for gospel ministry. Well, I mean, at some point we're going to have to start talking these numbers, right? At some point you're going to have to give us some helpful ideas. Now, uh, I, I want to show you an example. This is our giving budget. Um, I, I don't want to do this to big note ourselves, right? This is just an example for you to see. This is what it looks like. Now, uh, I've worked it out so that it's uh, on the left is the recipient and on the right is the percentage of what my total package is worth. Okay, so the church does things like pay rent for us, and so, so this is kind of the total package rather than the gross salary. That's not right anymore. But anyway, so on the left is who we give to, right? So the top one, discretionary, that's just a line in the budget so that if we come across the homeless guy, if we're at a fundraiser, if we're out somewhere and someone says, I need cash to do whatever, there's a line in the budget that I can say, yep, okay, there's money in there, here you go. 
The second one, Starlight, that's that counsellor group. They do wishes for children before, you know, it's kind of grander wish sort of a thing. Um, guy hit us up a couple of weeks ago. We thought, oh, yes, not a bad one. Let's support them. From there down, church down, they are all gospel ministries. And so we give to church. That's this church here. We give to AFES, which is a university worker in Brisbane. Uh, we give to AFES 2, which is a university worker in South Africa. So that shouldn't be Australian, but anyway, it's a university worker. We support CMS, the Church Missionary Society. We help fund one MTS apprentice at UNSW. We give to Fever, which is an organisation uh, in the creative arts world, which is where Edwina came through. Um, so it works out to be about 18% of what my, my pre-tax so, sort of package is worth. That's how we give. Now, okay, this is an example for you, right? That's, that's what it might look like. And I'll tell you what, I keep looking at that, and, and this sermon has kicked me in the pants, because I keep looking at that and thinking, we've got money in the bank. I can be using that money to fund more. I get requests every second day from people saying, here is this extraordinary gospel opportunity. If only we had a few more dollars. Brilliant. Can I please urgently plead with you to be a part of Can I give you my dollars? Is that our attitude? Let's come back to that principle. Generosity is using our wealth to benefit others. Now, I hope by now you've seen that this requires a pretty extraordinary change of heart. Pretty extraordinary, actually. It's, it's miraculous is the right word. Because our heart has to let go of the love of money completely. And instead, what we have to want what we desire, what we yearn for, what we will urgently plead for is the privilege of giving our money away that we might do good to others. Is that your heart? Now, if it isn't, you need to begin with Jesus. You, you have to look to him. You have to remember the gospel. Know your own poverty before God. You had nothing. And the one who had everything gave it all up. He became nothing that we might gain his everything. That is the only way that our hearts can be transformed. Knowing Jesus and having his spirit who changes that heart who releases the love of money and instead grabs on to the love of God. We must be like God to be generous. Has your heart been changed? If it hasn't, turn to Jesus. Now we're going to read some practical tips in a moment from, from the list like we had the last couple of weeks which will help you. But you have to begin there. If your heart hasn't changed, the practical tips will only get you so far. Look to Jesus. Know his love that you in turn might love like him. Right, what's the ending? How does the story finish? I mean, you told me we're going to come back to it. Does she live? Does she die? Did Jesus care for her? Maybe as she walked out of the temple, someone just kind of slipped her, you know, and off she went. Well, actually, sorry to disappoint, but the ending doesn't matter. I'm sorry, sorry if you thought that maybe I'd found some new text or something and we're going to have a miraculous reveal tonight. It doesn't matter. 
The fact that we ask that, the fact that I ask that question, that that's what concerns me shows that I don't get it. We are still concerned about practicalities. I can't give away my last dollar, David. What am I going to live off? We're concerned about the ins and outs of it when what we should be seeing is what Jesus saw, the heart. This woman is so in love with God and so loved by God that she wants to take her last two coins and use them for God's purposes. Two coins! She could have kept one and given the other one away. I mean, we would have, oh no, got to be responsible. Okay, keep one, give the other one. That's if you give either of them. It's not very much money. You can't give any away when you haven't got very much. She took both and said, have them, God. Her heart was gripped by the love of God. And so that releases the love of money. Even when it was costly to her, perhaps especially. Christian, is that your heart? And next week we're going to talk prudence. Next week we're going to talk wisdom. We're going to talk all these things of how much do I save and should I buy a house and what do I do with my money? To understand next week's talk, you have to understand this one. You have to get this point. Christian generosity is seeing somebody in need in front of you and wanting to meet that need. It's looking at your dollars and instead of seeing I can buy, I can do, I can, it's seeing opportunity to do good for others. Money comes in, brilliant. I can help more people. We have to get that point before we will understand prudence. Is your heart so gripped by the love of God that you will use your wealth and you will use all of it for the benefit of others? Let me pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your love that you who had everything, would give it all up for the sake of us, that we the poor might become rich. Thank you that in Jesus' sacrifice, we inherit eternity. Father, may his love transform us and may his love be a model to us. Father, remove from us the love of money. And put in us a deep love for you that flows out into a deep love for all those around us. Father, please help us to see our wealth as opportunities to do good. Amen.